Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name's Doug Cunnington, and in this episode, we talk to John Murphy, who's making about 100K per month. That's $100,000 per month with high-ticket drop shipping and an e-commerce site. And John contacted me actually several months ago after he was experiencing uh, some issues with this e-commerce site. He needed some help on the organic SEO side, and I do some one-on-one consulting occasionally if I can actually help a person. So I knew I'd be able to help John um, after we had a little back and forth. And um, anyway, things turned out good. He started getting more traffic. So a few months went by, and then John emailed me again. He was like, hey, I got a good idea for a podcast episode and I want to talk about drop shipping, and I want to talk about applying some of the affiliate marketing ideas to a drop shipping and e-commerce model. So we kind of go over all all over the place, actually. So we hear about John's journey from having a, a good corporate job um, to wanting to like do his own thing, and how he got started with high ticket drop shipping. Then we move into some of the ups and downs and the inevitable roller coaster. The people run into no matter like what business model they try and get into. There are going to be ups and downs and there's going to be some issues. John hit some issues where basically he was unable to get traffic. Thus, he needed to get organic traffic. So we go all over the place in this episode. John's not selling anything. He's just sharing knowledge here. I, you can't even follow him anywhere. So he literally just wanted to, you know, step up from the audience and share what he knows. Before I send it over to the interview, I want to make a quick request. So I recently noticed that um, we're getting close to the 100th episode. And I also noticed that this podcast, The Doug Show, is ranking a lot of times in the top 100, sometimes in the top 200 for marketing podcasts in the US on iTunes. So I know that some people listen to other uh, using other apps, but uh, we're in the top 100 uh, pretty often, which is kind of cool. I didn't think that was going to be possible in the near term. In fact, it wasn't even on the on the radar. But here's the little request here. So if you have not left a review yet, if you haven't left a rating on iTunes specifically, hop over to the app and just type in a little little note, something like that, whatever your honest feedback is and your honest rating. It'll be much appreciated and hopefully that does something. I hear, you know, that could be helpful, but, um, you know, just listening is amazing. And if you do have a minute or two to leave a quick rating and review on iTunes, I would really appreciate it. Let's hear from John Murphy. Hey, what's going on? It's the Doug Show here, and I am sitting with my buddy, John Murphy. How are you doing today, John? Good, thanks, Doug. How are you? Doing really well, and I'm pumped to talk to you today because uh, you reached out after we had like a coaching session, um, I guess a couple months ago, and you were like, hey, uh, things are going well, and I want to talk about drop shipping. And the, the cool part is like, you're not selling a course. Um, people can't follow you anywhere. You just have knowledge that you want to share. So I appreciate you reaching out to me. And just to set the stage for, you know, basically no one knows who you are, John. So what's your uh, like 
your gig right now? What are you working on? And then what's your background? Like, how did you get to where you are now? Well, um, briefly, let's say I, so I have a, an e-com store. I drop ship in the U S I live in Italy, but my, the market is U S and customers are in the U S. So I, it's basically U S store. And, um, I've been doing it now for about two years and, uh, I've been, let's say I've been trying to figure out the whole e-com internet, you know, earn money online, get rich quick, you know, the whole thing. I've been trying to figure that out for a few years and um, I finally have got into a good place where I'm making enough money that I quit my job last month, my corporate job. I've been working in corporate finance for the last 15, 20 years in various roles and the last couple of years I've just hated working for the corporation and I just always wanted to be able to work from home or rather work from anywhere I want to work from, whether that's always at home or not. That's, you know, by design, I can do that. Um, and I now I'm there, so. Awesome. Well, congratulations. It's always a, like a big, like momentous occasion. So um, what was it pretty scary, like quitting your job? Um, it was and it wasn't in the sense that I was, I was over my job a year ago and, um, I just wanted out the whole thing. It, I did have a couple of sleepless nights over the last month just because when you're working in a job for a corporation, you can't blame other people if something happens, you get fired or whatever. It's always somebody else's fault. But when you're in charge, if you, if you do well, it's your fault. If you screw up, it's your fault. It's all on you. So that's very nice. It's very reassuring and very liberating, but it's also really scary as well because yeah. it could just all disappear tomorrow. So, and I we're gonna we're gonna kind of jump around a little bit. So, quick quick uh, question. So, when did you put in notice um, that you were gonna leave your full time job? So I put in notice. Um, so I had to give six weeks notice. So I did that in August and I, I, calcul I cal because I'd been, pre I, this is very premeditated. Um, I was due two weeks holiday to go down to Puglia in the South of Italy and just be on the, on the sun, just be in the sun on the beach the whole time. I figured if I can make it work that I handed my notice four weeks before I go on my two week vacation, when I come back from my holidays, I'm free. And at the end of September, it would have been the third financial quarter. And it's a nightmare. It's like 16 hour days for a week straight, Saturday, Sunday, US time zone. And I'm in Italy. So it's, it's a nightmare. Every three months, it's a disaster. So I just managed to uh, get out of it just in time. So it was timed well. Very cool. And let's rewind. Okay. So in April of 2019, you had a record month, I believe, right? So you, you cleared um, revenue-wise uh, new records. So what, what was going on in April and what were you thinking? So I'd been putting in a lot of – so I'd been building this store for two years. And momentum had been good in the sense that it, I'd been profitable – every month for the previous 12 months or so. So I'd, I'd have about a year where I was steady profit, but 
and not not a huge amount, maybe like two or three thousand dollars profit a month, um, but not like leave leave my leave the job money. Um, and then in April, I was getting ready to um, have the start of my like I, April would be the first of my six months of high season. So. April, uh, the season starts, and May, June, July, August are all high season. September, October starts to then fain again, and then it picks up again in March, April next year. Um, and I was I was set to have a very good year, actually, because April, I made 106000 in revenue uh, for the month. And I was thinking, okay, so if this is April, and it's only just going to, there's a bell curve in my in my season. So it's just going to get bigger and bigger. And then it's going to slowly dissipate and go back down. So I was probably looking at a, a million dollars in revenue for the year this year. Um, so I was, I was very excited about where I was going. Okay. And so everything seems great in April. You're probably thinking, hey, maybe I can, I can quit soon. Maybe I'm going to clear a million in revenue, which would have been the first time that you've done that, right? Um, yeah. So then what happened? Um, I don't, maybe all of the, all of the sales and all the traffic I got in April, um, Google uh, decided to go and crawl my website and my ads. And there's a small clause in Google shopping ads policy. Uh, and what I sell apparently is in violation of the Google shopping ads policy. And they swiftly just turned off all of my ads and all of my traffic. So they just said, you're not running ads here anymore. Uh, have a nice day. Okay. And did you have any recourse? Like what can you do if your ads are shut off? <laughs> you can request a manual review just in case the crawl picked up something that maybe was a bit off or maybe you put a description in and it was just a blatant error on your part. Uh, maybe you said something like sex, drugs, and gambling in the description, and then boom, you're gone. Um, you know, and maybe you're, you're not selling anything in that, in that market at all. And then somebody can go in and see, okay, maybe there was a misunderstanding. You're, you're good to go. But since it's, it's written in black and white that my products are not allowed, um, there, there is no coming back from that. It's basically until we, until we decide to include them, um, you're on your own. And how so, much of your traffic was coming from, uh, I guess, ads? Um, I would, I, I, at the time I was thinking it was probably around 80% because I sell very expensive items in around the four or five K range, each, each unit. Um, before there's a, like a, let's say before there's a sale, I could have like somebody visit my store 75 times. So, like attribution was, was hard to identify with where did the sale come from and how did he first discover my store, you know, that sort of thing. So I wasn't always, because Google Analytics makes my, makes my head hurt when I, when I get in there. Um, so I tend to just close my eyes and go, yeah, okay, I have traffic, that's fine. I, I would think it was like maybe 70 to 80% um, okay. Google Shopping. Because that's the classic e-commerce process. You build a store, you use targeted keywords to get traffic uh, to your ad ads, 
you because if you're looking on Google Shopping for a specific product and the price and the image is there and you still click through, then you're a buyer. You're at least you're a warm lead. So that's how we would traditionally get traffic. That's the fastest way to make a sale, fastest way to get traffic, and that's the that's the default for e-commerce. Okay. Uh, and and we'll de- we're gonna dig in for people listening out there. Um, we'll dig in deeper into like the drop shipping model, but that's pretty standard, right? You set up the store, wherever you set it up, however you handle the e-commerce portion of it, and then you could just drive traffic in as long as you know your your margins, you know the price of the product and you know the price of the lead, then you can, um, I guess, run an ad and put as much money into it because you know on the back end you're you're making a profit, right? Yeah. Yeah, like you know the way you you run an ad in a, in a sense that in Google Shopping it's very visual. So on the image there's like the, there's the product, there's the, the there's the amount, uh, and it might even say free shipping or you know no sales tax or whatever. So for somebody to click on that anyway, they've already seen the price. So if it's not too expensive, uh, it's 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 likely that it's a warm lead. So um, you know that's the sort of that's good traffic. So that's the that's the target. Cool. In May, your traffic dropped by a ton. Your um, because of the ad issue that you had, and you were like, "Okay, we're in trouble here." Um, your revenue mm-hmm. dropped a bunch as well. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, "I gotta quit my job also um, sometime because I hate it." So you, I can't remember when we had our coaching session, but you were like hey, I really need to turn up some stuff on the like on the organic side. And I, I guess, do, do you happen to remember when that was? Yeah, it was like uh, the third week in August. Okay. So you were trying to do some stuff. So what, like mentally, what were you thinking when the ads, like your ad traffic went away? Well, I was, for two days, I didn't speak because I had the letter written. My letter resignation had been written for a while, and I was like, I have to, I have to quit my job. I can't do it anymore. And the more I was successful in my, what was then a side hustle, I was making more money in two hours a day than I was eight hours a day in like in an office job. So I just became more and more resentful to those eight hours that I could be dedicating to something productive or something, you know, at least something that I was working on and I was passionate about. Uh, so I was desperate to quit. And when I when the rug got pulled out from underneath me, I was thinking, does this mean I can't quit my job now? And now I have to go and suck it up again for at least another year. Uh, so for two days, I was just devastated. I was thinking, what do I do now? How do I, how do I recover from this? Um, and it, it was it was uh, it was mentally challenging, to, you know, to try and figure out uh, what I should do. Um, because also I was trying to convince my wife the whole time that I'm going to quit my job, you know, because it's, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's a two person decision. I'd already decided, you know, it was, it was going to happen, but it had to happen in a way that it made sense. And in, for those two days, I was thinking it doesn't make sense now to do it. And that was what really uh, bothered me. So I had to find a plan B. So, um, and uh, when you can't run ads, the plan B is uh, organic traffic. <laughs> right. And ju- just a quick uh, quick note, I know exactly what you're talking about. 
I, I was laid off. Otherwise I probably would still have my job because probably like you, you were doing something for, you know, 15 years pays pretty good. Um, it looks like you had a pretty flexible schedule, which we can probably maybe talk about in a future episode. I mean, you were working remotely for your full-time job, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so that's a whole other topic, which we can get into later. But you had a flexible work schedule, a pretty good gig uh, externally, right? Like if people saw what you were doing, they're like, hey, you got it made. Mm. Well, yeah, I'm, um, it's it did look like that from the outside. I was working the classic office hours just from my home. Mm-hmm. But that's because in, in the company I used to work for, a uh, massive American international, they... Um, I was wearing two hats. I was working two roles because one guy got laid off and they just gave me his role. So I was doing two jobs. And when I had to relocate for my wife's job, I said, can I work from home? And they were like, hmm, if we let him go, we'll have to hire two people. So they were like, okay, yeah, let's, let's, let's see how it works out. And I mean, I worked, so it, yeah, it worked out for them too. So gotcha. Okay. So in May, lost a bunch of traffic. You were like, okay, let's try and get some organic traffic in here. Um, a lot of your competitors in the dropshipping world and e-commerce, they're running ads. So if you can come at it from another direction, um, maybe you can solve your problem. So how did you approach it? Like how successful were you in that like early time frame in May, June? Um, so um, I, had, I had planned on building some organic traffic, but as to work in parallel with my ads because I figured, okay, my ads are working, or at least I'm making sales. Um, I'm spending like $3,000 a month on ads, but I'm profitable, so that's okay. I can keep doing it. But I would like to also get organic traffic because who knows what will happen. Um, I didn't, I, I figured maybe if it's not profitable to spend, I would stop spending. I didn't expect to be, you know, cut off and cut off early as well. So I had already a few blog posts and I didn't, hadn't really taught much about it because I just figured uh, with e-com, we don't, we're not really, let's say, trained to think about content. It's you have a really good product page. You drive traffic to the product page, uh, not even the homepage. It's the product page because people want the product. You send them directly there. It's the quickest route to the checkout. Um, so the idea of just producing content and more content and more content is sort of counter to the idea of driving valuable uh, buying tar- buying traffic, like the right audience. Um, so I just I felt like I needed to have a blog to make to make it look a bit more, let's say, legitimate as a, like a website. So I just started producing some content. But it didn't really have a purpose. It didn't really. It wasn't really guided, in the, and they weren't working together. Um, so I did get some traffic because I also tried to get some backlinks to it. So, um, but it didn't come naturally. Like my organic traffic wasn't coming in, you know, in spades. But I did get some sales from it, so that's good. Okay. So you were getting some a, a little bit of traction here in the organic area but you didn't have to do it until you lost the ability to run ads. So um, in, in June, there was an algorithm update of June, 2019. And what happened with yeah. that? June 2nd, yeah. I remember that day because 
I'd been I'd been about a month where I was trying to figure out how do I grow my organic traffic, and then on June second, overnight, my my organic traffic was down fifty percent, and it stayed down. It never like it didn't come back. It wasn't like a two day thing. It was just down, and then it just stays down. So. Um, and in e-com, a really, really well converting e-com store, they say 2% of visitors will convert, but 2% of paid traffic visitors because they're already people looking to buy. Organic traffic is, is a lot more diluted because it's people just curious, it's people looking for information, so it's a lot less. So if I have very little traffic to begin with, sales are not forthcoming, let's say. Okay. So you... Without uh, goes without saying, you felt even worse after that. You were like, "Okay, now my ads are taken away. Now organic traffic is gone." And um, how did you how did you deal with that? You're like, "Okay, I have to get out of my day job. We will figure this out." Is that kind of your what you were thinking in your approach there? I I was just sort of scrambling. I I started trying to absorb as much um, as much knowledge as possible on how to grow organic traffic or how to find out what like how to analyze my website what to look for how to look for potential like easy wins um what are people doing so i started hanging out in um i i started listening to your podcast and i now i get your your emails and so i read your blogs i do the same for spencer hawes i hang out in his facebook group and i stalk sort of lurking in the background because I figured if I can figure out what these guys are doing to get traffic, because it's a similar process in the sense that you guys want to build a website to like to generate traffic, as much traffic as possible uh, in a, let's say in a niche environment. So people will then click on something and go buy it on Amazon. I figured if I could try to learn how these guys are doing it, and I apply it to my store, I just direct them to my product page instead of to Amazon, and that might work. So I started having some sort of a, an objective, let's say, with what I was trying to accomplish with organic traffic. So I've just been sort of like being a student of niche websites since then. And it has worked, it has worked. I'm still trying, I'm still doing, I'm still trying to figure stuff out. I mean, I still haven't completed all of the things you told me to do in August. I've done most of them. But uh, yeah, it was a long list. So yeah. So how is the organic traffic now? So we're recording this in like mid October. So you got hit in June. Like, have you recovered? Like, where are you at now? So I was getting uh, after my ads were turned off. I was reduced to about five hundred visitors a day. Then on June second, I was down to two hundred and fifty visitors a day because it was like split in half. Now I'm around 700 visitors a day. So I'm back up again. Um, the June, the September 24th algorithm update seemed to win in my favor this time because I, up until around that point, I'd slowly got back up to the 500 a day mark um, just by putting out new blogs and giving it, you know, direction. Um, and then in September, the last week of September, I've seen like another increase. So now I'm better off than I was before. So uh, I did hear from, I spoke to guys in an SEO audit agency last week, and they told me that um, what they're seeing is who got hit in June 
gained in September and vice versa, because it seems to be Google are still trying to figure out the, the repercussions of June and whether it went okay or not. So uh, unfortunately, they, 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 they cut me off at the knees in the height of my season, and then they let me back in at the end of my season, but uh, okay. I can't help that. So. And okay, so that said, so your, your traffic is better, organic traffic is better than ever, and is it safe to s- assume that your revenue is back up um, where you're comfortable and that's, I mean, you quit your job. So I think you're probably in, moving in the right direction, but um, where's revenue at now? So revenue now is at um, August and September. I Each month I broke 100K again for the second and third time this year after the April episode. Uh, and then on this, this month, uh, I'm at 67. So it looks like I'll break 100 again this month. Um, which I'm already beyond my season, so I wouldn't expect to do that again in November and December. But um, well, we'll see. We'll see where I end up. So um, my last three months have been my my best three months so far. So that's awesome. a good direction to be going. Yeah, very good. And let's get into like the nuts and bolts of like the content side of it, because really that's what this is all about. So you're doing, you know solid keyword research, you're pulling people into your funnel in an organic way. So it's free traffic instead of having to get the paid ads, which like, I'm not sure why more e-commerce sites don't do that other than the fact that, um, the people teaching, uh, yeah, it's hard. (laughs) It's hard. It, it takes a lot longer. And the people teaching the, the courses and stuff for, um, drop shipping, they stick with the the fastest path, the easiest path to get results and see an ROI quickly. With content marketing, it may be six months or a year or eighteen months before you really know like what is going to happen. So, tell me about like the amount of content on your site, your approach to content, um, who's writing it, all that stuff. So, I still don't have uh, a lot of content. Um, I've sort of, I've approached it now in a few different ways. All of the fluff content I put up like two years ago, which was just to, just to populate the blog section. Um, it was very generic information that, but it wasn't, it was remotely helpful, but it wasn't very helpful. Um, so, and, and none of it ranked, none of it, none of it got any traffic. There was probably 10 or 15 blog posts, all maximum 1000 words each. So they weren't getting the, the, no traffic. Um, so as a standalone piece of content, none of them were worthy, really. So instead of switching them off, I decided to um, make uh, a definitive guide uh, to the niche. And I, I just put them all into one blog post. And each one of these miniature blogs was a chapter. Um, and so now it's like an 8,000 word piece. And... Um, and it ranks. Uh, it, it does rank now. So, and for like the and for main keyword that you were trying to rank it for, so a pretty high volume one, or is it sort of a medium? Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a pretty pretty high volume um, search term now. Like it's the like the generic product category, let's say. Um, okay. So and it, and it wasn't something that I was trying to do to drive sales. It was more about, okay, I've got all this content. At least I'll try to make it work instead of just switching it off or removing the pages. So 
that was that was one of the first things I did, and then um, I noticed that well, what I did was I, I went into Ahrefs to see who was ranking for keywords that I wanted to rank for, and I found a couple of websites that were much bigger than me with bigger domain um, uh, authority, and they were ranking for things like the top five product for 2019 or the best nine product for this specific activity, that sort of thing. And I noticed that um, a, lot of the, a lot of the websites that were ranking on page one had a similar structure to them. You know, the titles were very catchy. They were, let's say, date appropriate, so they looked up to date. Um, and they were very enticing to go and click. But some of them were not very good. Like some of them were just like, like literally just a list of five products and a link. And then maybe the image didn't even correspond with the actual product. So they weren't done very well. So I figured, well, if I could do something similar, maybe bigger, more valuable that people can read and go, okay, I've, I've got all the information I need. I don't need to go elsewhere because this answered every possible question I could have. And I started building a couple of these. Um, I did this. I have three categories in my niche. Uh, which would go after three different demographics. So I made three of these types of posts. Two of them are doing extremely well. They're like page page one, position one, which is fantastic. And um, luckily they're printing me money now because when they were on like page three, um, I didn't get any visitors. Now I go to page one and all of a sudden, like, you know, I've got hundreds of visitors a day on one blog post. Um, so by default, I do get sales. So it's great. Um, I did go be above and beyond. For example, like in some of these posts, I have maybe the first 2000 words. I haven't even mentioned one of the products yet. It's just about education, what the product does, how it's going to change your life and uh, who's it for and who's it not for. And uh, I did, I do listen to a lot of podcasts about what way is a blog post supposed to be. And by trying to apply what you teach and what other like, you know, serial bloggers, let's say that, you know, that do it as a, for a living do, um, using H2 tags in a, in a, in a strategic way. Maybe if, if you're answering a question and the question has the product name or like the, let's say the, the category in it, and you make the question a H2 tag and then the paragraph answers the question. So it makes it very easy for Google to find answers to questions people are asking. And I found very, uh, very good results, you know, writing the content that way. Got it. And then the, so obviously link to my product pages. Okay. Very good. And for, for the content, are you writing it yourself or are you hiring writers? I have experimented recently with, um, content pit, um, but basically, I just gave them five topics and I gave them a word count and just to see what the content was like. The content was very good. I didn't even have to change it. So if I do decide to um, go the route of producing, I don't know, 10 pieces of content a month, that would be the way to go because I don't, I don't write content. It doesn't come to me naturally and I could spend a week on one piece Um and I could order 10 pieces of content and in a week get them all back. And then I could be doing something else. So I, with Content Pit, I see that the, the work is pretty good. Um, out of five pieces, I didn't have to change anything on all five. 
Um, and when I did ask them to do like a mammoth piece, just to see what it would be like, um, they just said um, it wouldn't be good. You know, they didn't want to take my money to do like a 10,000 word piece because they said the best piece of content on the on the web was my 4,000 word article. And there was no point in making a 10,000 word version of that article because you've already done it. So I, I thought that was very good of them. So I wouldn't be against, you know, hiring, outsourcing, good writing again. Got it. So you and I had the coaching session back in August and... I don't remember specifically any of the activities that I, uh, and action items that I told you you need to do, but do you, I mean, I hope you got results. Um, probably did. Otherwise you wouldn't have emailed me <laughs> at all. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I, yeah. What, what, what kind of stuff did I tell you to do on the site? And then did you see any results or impact from it? Um, so I did implement pretty much most of the, all of the easy stuff and then the, the like the, the not so easy stuff I did later. And I saw, I think that's why in September I got rewarded for it because my site makes sense now. Instead of having three, let's say three big posts and they're all independent and then some other stuff around the edges, um, they were all in the, they were all standalone pieces and they all sort of did okay. But uh, one of the one of the major changes you told me to do was to bunch them into silos. So having three categories, since those are my let's say my money blogs, um, I've already got lots of other content that are relatable, but they're not going to like they're not going to do me any favors really on their own. You help me structure them in a way that um, I would have one main blog post, which would be, let's say, my top seven products for 2019, the one that's in position, like, well, at the time it was like position three, four, and now it's in position one, so something's working. Um, so that gets supported by these smaller, relevant, uh, but secondary blog posts, let's say, smaller 1,000-word blog posts, relevant keywords, and they, let's say, I have one massive post, and then five to 10 smaller secondary posts, all linking to that one. So it's telling Google what's relevant um, on my site out of all of those blog posts that all have similar keywords. And I'm in position one and I'm posi in position zero today as well, I saw. So for the same post, I'm getting like rich snippets and then I'm answering the drop down questions as well. So I'm pretty much dominating the page one of certain keywords, which is fantastic. Awesome. And for the people that don't know this siloing like can get uh, more complicated and like website architecture can get more complicated, but generally if you just internally link like that generally does the same sort of thing. Um, so I could put a link for folks to check that out a little bit further. And um, go ahead. There was, there was also one massive mind shift when we were on our call and I was saying, you know, because in, in preparation, you had said, uh, give me a link to your competitors, the ones who you are looking to, let's say, emulate or improve on. And, um, and my answer to you was, nobody in e-com is trying to do what I'm trying to do because everybody's running ads. So I don't know anybody that's doing it. 
And when we got on the call, in one sentence, you'd completely changed my my philosophy. You had said, um, but you're not competing against e-commerce stores. You're competing against niche websites. And that was just like a aha moment for me because I was thinking, that's right. I have to, you know, I'm, I'm doing content to get organic traffic to my website with the with the intention that maybe they'll buy. And it just, for me, it was like, oh my God, like uh, that makes so much sense now. And and one of the bigger things that you had me do was to completely restructure the visual aspect of my blog post to resemble more of the Amazon affiliate, let's say, listings, whereas like there's the like check price on Amazon, those things, because I didn't have anything. And it, it just it, looking at it now, it just didn't make sense for visitors and they would may not have even known to uh, to go visit the product page. Um, so that was that was a big shift also mentally for me. Cool. I don't even remember saying that, but you know, it sounds brilliant now that you're mentioning it. So <laughs> well yeah, it was pretty yeah. <laughs> it's it well and the big thing, like to lay the context, I mean basically, like we've been talking about, most um dropship dropshipping sites and e-commerce sites, like they have a specific business model, but um, in a similar way, like I do YouTube videos, like people are watching this now and I'm competing against like cat videos and like every other, like, I mean, it's hard to compete with cat videos. In fact, I published a, a short video of my dog and it got like three times more uh, views than like my best video ever within like 48 hours. So, yeah. Definitely a big aside right there, but let's get it back on track. And any other like um, changes that you like made on the site before we shift over to like just talking about drop shipping uh, and the business model in general? No massive structural things because, you know, because we're, I'm on e-com, it's a, you know, e-com. So we use Shopify. So it's not exactly the same as WordPress. So there are some um, there are certain changes that would make sense WordPress, but I would be going against the grain in Shopify. Um, so there wasn't a lot of major changes, but each blog post needed to be changed. Uh, so it needed to be, let's say, more niche website style. So and and they're still not that pretty, you know. They still don't look as good as some of the niche websites I see. You know, like really fancy table of contents and then like comparison charts i'm still not there yet but i you know they will they will come as well and they'll be added to the old ones and then they'll be in the next one so it's still a work in progress and have you done any uh link building i have um i have done some intentional and some not so intentional link building it just um so i what i do is for link building um i generally hang out in forums where my demographic hang out and um, in some forums, I'm I'm a paid sponsor, so I'm allowed to be there. They know I'm selling, and if they want to ask me questions, I'm there to just answer questions and give advice and recommendations, whether it's something I sell or not. So I, uh, and every time I drop a link to maybe let, let's say I drop a link and say, you know, oh, I I wrote a new blog post this week. Uh, I'm pretty sure some of you guys will find it helpful. If you have any questions, you can just find me on here because I'm here all the time. And then that's a backlink, um, and then that'll get shared. Um, and I'm I, I'm active in three forums, so they're all because these forums are like the 
the demographic are guys that are maybe they're not so Facebook oriented, but they'll they'll be sit on a forum because they're very passionate about what they do and what they what they what they like. Um, so these forums have been around for years. So they've got very high domain ratings, like seventy five and eighty. Um, so those are good backlinks. I do uh, try to do other probably uh, other backlinks, but they're probably not as valuable. Whereas I sign up for uh, Quora, and every time there's a question about my niche, I try to answer it with a let's say I, I try to give a valuable answer, and if it makes sense, I'll drop a link to an article that would elaborate further on my answer and then i try to get backlinks that way as well i don't know how how do follow core is but um you know all of these little things they all they all build up you know so answering um and cora i will go into a like a a youtube review of a product and i might invite people to also check out this other review and it would be on my website um so it's basically trying to you know disseminate the links all over the internet but without being spammy at least trying not to be uh, i did experiment this earlier this year with the hoth um <clears throat> i signed up for like three months to get backlinks from them because i figured i need to you know increase my domain rating i need to get traffic i need to somehow boost my rankings in general and i just ran to the nearest uh, backlink builder let's say um i got backlinks they're good domain ratings but i got spooked i think a little bit about maybe the quality of what's going on there and i'm still not convinced so i ended up pulling the plug on that and i'd rather not do anything that risks because organic traffic is my only way now so if i screw that up then i'm screwed and i'm back to the day job so yep in best to do it carefully we will be we'll be clear so the hoth has a lot of products and if if i remember right you did the hoth x which is the fully managed service is that correct yeah it was a hot x 1000 where it was a combination of different things like some backlinks some like web 2.0 i think um guest posting and it worked I just, I just, I, it always felt like there was something not so white hat about it. So um, I backed off. Yep. And um, so I haven't used that service. And you mentioned, I don't know everything like involved with it. But yeah, I think you're right. There's some Web 2.0s. Perhaps there are like other types of links, which are gray hat, which those would be more risky. And the service that I've used from the Hoth that I like a lot is the guest posting service because those are going on blogs with um, organic traffic from Google, which is like the, in my opinion, the best like vote of confidence that you can get. Um, so every, everyone just wanted to make that distinction because I like the Hoth. So, um, okay. And let's move on to just the the drop shipping business model and there are at least a couple flavors of it. And you, you, you pointed out to me um, before we started recording here that there's like kind of a bad model where you're sort of painted in a corner. It's maybe an easy way to get started, but it's not like a long-term way to do it. Can you kind of outline that with uh, the AliExpress? So the usually people, like dropshipping tends to have a bit of a negative stigma to it because for, for years now, People would try to get into dropshipping 
and they figure they can get something on AliExpress, have it shipped from China to somebody else's house, uh, and then they've made a few bucks in the meantime. Um, the business model, I also tried, my very first store was like I doubled with AliExpress. I think I, I did it for about six weeks and then I, I, then I went a different route. But um, the model, people have made lots of money doing it, but um, it's just, it just seems to be like you're always chasing the next fad, fidget spinner or whatever it is. Um, and there, there are so many reasons why I would never recommend AliExpress I know people have done it. They've made money doing it. Um, but the whole philosophy is, is that um, you don't set up an agreement with a supplier. You're the customer. You're the end customer when you buy something from AliExpress. And so you advertise a product on your website. Somebody buys it from you. You collect their money. And then you log on to AliExpress and order the product from China as the, as the customer but you just give the other name and the shipping address of your customer. So it'll ship from China to them. The problem being there is, is that you've paid for the product. Then it takes maybe four to six weeks to get there. And it's a hit and miss whether it's really, whether it's very well made, whether it's not very well made. And most of the time, like people are not willing to wait six weeks for, for like some, like a $15 item that just got like, or, or maybe a hundred dollar item, whatever it is. And if they say, oh, screw you, um, uh, I want a refund or I'm going to do a chargeback, they're still getting the thing because you bought it and you had it shipped to them. There's no refunding. AliExpress have shipped to you. You're the end customer. So there's no there's no recourse from that. So you've just bought some random guy off the internet, um, something that they wanted and they didn't pay for it. So, um, And because you don't have any like business structure in place, it's not a a real business it's more of a like a it's it's like you know arbitrage on ebay you buy something from somebody and you sell it to somebody else for ten dollars more it's not a business model that you can then go to empire flippers and sell for a multiple because they don't want that business because it's not a business so if you go to like what i'm doing which is considered the i guess everybody calls it high ticket drop shipping is you choose a country like i chose the us because it has a lot of people um, a lot more than in my country in Ireland is like almost 5 million people. And that's not, a, that's not a huge market. So, um, choose the country, choose a niche, and then there's like a whole niche criteria research process to eliminate what's not a good niche and what could be a good niche. And there are lots of variables when you have a niche, then you go and have to look for all of the suppliers within the U S that supply that product and that are willing to ship one unit at a time to somebody that you that you make a sale from instead of the traditional i want 10 units and i'm going to sell them in my store uh on the high street you know so um but once you have those agreements in place written agreements with these suppliers you're an authorized dealer for that company and you represent them on your website and if you have like 15 20 25 suppliers you can list all of their products and you get a sale. Then you turn to your supplier and you ask them to debit you the wholesale price as a dealer and ship it to your customer. Um, so it's a lot, it's a, it's a much more legit business model. Um, and you know, if there's an, if there's a warranty issue or if something breaks or if, 
if it just never shows up or it goes missing from the doorstep because FedEx didn't require a signature, whatever the case may be, you're in a position to you know make it work. You know, the customer doesn't get screwed. They can say, oh, I never received my package. You go to the supplier and say, you know, contact FedEx. You shipped on your shipping account. Um, package wasn't received. There was no signature. Okay, we'll make a claim. We'll ship another piece. And everybody, you know, it's it's a proper functioning business model. Um, and if you go high ticket, the margins are very good. If I'm selling a fidget spinner from AliExpress and I make like $5 a fidget spinner, I have to sell 5,000 fidget spinners a month. Uh, to make to make some money, and that would require five thousand orders to manage, probably five thousand emails saying "Where's my effing order?" Uh, customer complaints, maybe ten percent are broken, maybe ten percent don't arrive. That's a massive headache. You've just built yourself a job. But if I want to make the same five thousand dollars, I could make one sale a week in high ticket dropshipping, and have only made four customer orders. And a customer order is an email. I receive an email to say, you know, Mr. Cunnington has ordered this product. I take that email and I forward it to my supplier and say, please ship this product to Mr. Cunnington. And then they give us a FedEx tracking number and, and we're done. So if I did that four times a month, I've made four or $5,000 and I haven't had any fidget spinners uh, shipping from China. So um, it's, an easier, it's an easier model to, to manage. Got it. Now, with the suppliers and like getting the agreement in place, how did you do that? Like, do, do you actually like get on the phone and you're like, hey, I'm going to do this thing. And can you hook me up as a wholesaler? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, there are ways of um, making your chances more likely. So, for example, um, chances are if you go into like an e-com store in a specific niche, you weren't the first. So there are other people already doing it. And one way to validate that the niche that you're going into is a good idea before you build your store is are other people already drop shipping this product? Because if you go and look on the internet and you do research and the only people that are selling online are the manufacturers themselves, which, which does happen, uh, but there are, and there are no other websites selling multiple different brands of the same same niche, uh, and they don't have a physical location. Then maybe it's not dropship friendly. But if you see five or ten other websites that they're clearly dropshipping, like five or six different brands in the same category, uh, they don't have a physical location. They're only selling online. Then that's likely a dropship friendly niche to go into, and on the website, they will have all of the brands and manufacturers listed on their website. So that's basically a list of all of the customers, the uh, suppliers that you should be calling. So you just do some research on the internet, see what brands are being drop shipped. You call them up and say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm selling, I'm selling this product. Uh, you know, I think we've got a really good market. We've got, you know, you just convince them that you're not just going to be, you're not just trying to guess how to make a sale. You know, you, you try to sound as professional as possible. Uh, some people actually build the store first with all, let's say you've got, let's say you've identified uh, 10 suppliers, okay? You don't want to call the first supplier and you don't have a shop to show them because you, you would want to make it look like you're already been in business for a year or two years and you're just adding them to an existing store. So what some people do is they will 
load, let's say, all of the 10 brands onto the website, hide one, so you're only displaying live on the website nine brands, call the one you've hidden and say, you know, I sell X, Y, and Z brands. I would really like to be able to sell yours because people call me and ask me, do I also sell your brand? And because I don't, I would like to not miss out on the sale. So I'd like to get signed up as a dealer. How do we do that? And they'll send you an application form. You give them your credit card details. They'll debit you when you place an order. And then they'll do that. And then you can uh, then <clears throat> republish their product. Hide brand A. Call brand A and say, I sell these nine other brands. I really like to sell your brand. You do that until you have as many brands as it makes sense to go live. You won't get them all. Uh, but generally, if people are already doing it, it's because the business model is already in place in the first place. So okay. does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. And it, I guess it just takes some time. You have to hop on the phone and or like craft your your pitch and prob I imagine once you get one or two, um, I guess, uh, wholesalers or, uh, manufacturers on board, it's a little bit easier since you could say, Hey, I'm selling these other products. Don't you want to be on my store too? So. Yeah. Yeah. And the more, pro the more brands you have, the more, you know, the more legitimate the store looks and it's just getting those first couple of suppliers on board. Um, Sometimes it may take a little bit of fabrication to make it look like the store isn't two days old. You may make it sound that the store has been around for a while because you're just trying to reassure them that you're not, you're not going to just try it for a week and then close the shop because it's not worth their time because they also have to then, you know, uh, enlist you as a supplier and there would be some admin work on their end as well. So you want to sound like you're, you're in it, you know, for the long for the long term so cool and i guess do you have any tips for people that are like they're thinking hey i want to like maybe test out this business model like is it easy enough to test or is it something a little more like complicated where you need to put in you know six months before you're really going to be able to figure anything out um it's not a six month task you could you i mean you can build a shopify store on a weekend in a few hours in a weekend um, to do it to do it nice and to do all of the upfront research because if you pick a niche and you build a store and you put in hours of product pictures product descriptions and things like that and then you find out that nobody sells your product online because only the manufacturer does and they're not interested in selling through let's say middlemen and then you've worked. So the research part can be very tedious and very long, but the the more research you put in, the chances are of your you've 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 eliminated all of the things that would um, lead to uh, not having a successful store. So maybe a month of upfront research, and then you could like you could put a store together in a, in a couple of days. And usually what you would do is you have the product pictures from the manufacturer. You go onto their website, download the product images, copy and paste the descriptions and populate your website that way. And then when you're live, you can go back in and make unique content for each product. But to go live, you could you could do it in, in a month, including the research. 
and for the people that like, I'm not familiar with Shopify at all, but there's a big ecosystem just like WordPress of themes and other tools and plugins and developers and all that stuff, right? Yeah, they even have their own app store now. So you can, uh, they have the different themes. So like, like the WordPress themes, yeah, um, some are more directed to like one product and like one product, one type of no variance, just one product. And then others are designed for more marketplace designs where you've got lots of products, lots of collections. Um, some of them have like lots of uh, conversion rate optimization, like urgency widgets and symbols sort of built in, customized. Um, and then there are lots of apps to add on to it, like Klaviyo, uh, add-on apps and then there are like uh, flash sale header apps and there's apps for pretty much everything okay yeah it's funny like whatever whatever like other ecosystem is out there like there's just a ton of products like i i had no idea it's because i'm stuck in like this wordpress world and like certain things sound i don't know they sound like so big and then like you just go to the, you know, the cousin like uh, Shopify and it's huge. So excellent. And I guess there's, you know, like a blog type, uh, like content management system. So you could publish your blog or product reviews or whatever. And it's just like what you would expect a little editor. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I think Shopify is pretty, um, user friendly. So it's made in a very in a way that it's it's very easy to learn how to use it. So you get into the admin area. Like I've dabbled a little bit in WordPress, and for me that's still very confusing. It doesn't look. It looks like you need to know what you're doing before you start, rather than figure it out along the way. At least for me. Whereas Shopify, I think pretty much anybody could figure it out in a day. It's very helpful. Like it's very click and paste and you know and you know this box is empty and this and then the text will say this is what you put in this box you know it's really it's really helpful it's very easy cool that's good and the funny thing is like i've used wordpress now for like six years and wordpress is pretty ubiquitous in a lot of the internet and everyone talks about it but it's actually really confusing like the first time mm -hmm. you install it there's a lot of areas that you can screw up on and it is probably one of the more complicated CMSs out there, content management systems versus like, well, I won't even get into it. But as I've like done more research, I'm like, WordPress is kind of a mess. It's a huge mess yeah. with all the plugins and themes and conflicts. And like the amount of damage you can do in a short time as a beginner is kind of remarkable. So anyway, let's, uh, I'll pull it back in again. So John. What are the future plans like uh, coming up, say, the next six months or so? So the next six months is I plan on, because I'm going to now go into my low season, I'm not going to have many phone calls. I'm not going to have many sales. I, I don't think anyway. Um, I'm going to try to focus on building some new content. And because it's coming to the end of the year, I'm going to try to tweak my current content for 2020. Um, I'm still not sure whether I should do that or not because now my 2019 blogs are in position one 
and I'm afraid to go in and just, you know, shake it up a little bit because I might drop off. It took me a while to get there. So I don't know. I, so it's mostly going to be um, content building, um, building out those silos that you, you showed me. Um, and if I can um, um, just build more content, but in a more structured way so that it, it sort of has a purpose, you know, like now I'm not going to build a piece of content until I know what it's supposed to be doing when it's it, when it is built, you know, what's it going to be linking to what's the idea and where, I, you know, where am I going to be able to share that piece of content once it's done. So definitely content because I do want to keep growing my organic traffic. And, but it's going to be a bit more clinical, a bit more um, taught out first. But I've got, I've got a, like the winter months to figure all that out now. And I've got more time. So that's <laughs> all. And actually, just quick aside. So how, how are you structuring your day now that you don't have to you know, be up for U.S. hours and you can do you know, whatever, however you want to do it? I still haven't figured that out yet. That's still my biggest problem. I like, cause now I still wake up. My dog still needs to pee at the same time every morning. You know, my wife goes to work, so we have breakfast. So I still wake up at seven. Um, you know, I'm still tired at midnight, even though my phone may ring at midnight. Um, so I don't know what my day looks like yet. That's the thing. Um, so I'm in a very small mastermind group with two other guys that are also doing the same thing as I'm doing, just in different niches. And we're always bouncing ideas off each other. Oh, have you tried this or have you tried that? And, and they've been full time now for a couple of years. So and I, I keep asking them, like, what does your day look like? Do you, you know, do you have a to do list? Do you do stuff in the morning? I don't know. Do you go for a walk? Uh, what like? How, how should I structure my day? Uh, I still haven't figured it out yet. So I don't know. I don't know. It's a battle. I think. Um... Well, for me, you didn't ask, but I, I do always go for a walk uh, in the morning with the dog, usually a couple miles, and we do another one like in the middle of the day sometime. And um, the struggle that I have is I have like at least three distinct like different areas that I'm working on. So I have affiliate sites, I have YouTube stuff, I have podcast stuff. The, this the uh, this video that we're recording now, I pull the audio from it and I publish it on the podcast and YouTube. So there's like several different things going on. And then there's other days where I just do like videos. So the struggle for me is like if I'm switching around to the different uh, roles in the same day kind of messes up my day. But if I'm like if I'm only doing one of those things. I do great. So if I'm only writing content, for example, I just, I can, I can write, you know, 1500 words and I'm like, this is great. If I'm doing videos, I could do a couple of weeks ago, I did like 14 videos in one day in like 90 minutes. I mean, I just knocked it out and that's a quarter's worth of videos basically. Um, so do you, I mean, I, I imagine, you know, you have some customer support you have to do. You have to think about the content and then there's probably some other administrative kind of stuff. So I don't know. That's just a thought. Like you may be able yeah. to divide it up. There, yeah. So let's say, so because I'm in Italy, right? So now it's like 6 p.m., but it's 9 a.m. Western, right? So, um, or something maybe. Um, so up until around my, like say three or four o'clock in the afternoon, 
America is still asleep. So there's not a lot happening. I probably have maybe 10 emails that I woke up to. Maybe one of them is, um, oh, I, you know, uh, I'm interested in a product. Um, the, does it do this or does it do that? And, you know, I'll reply to a couple of emails. I might get maybe two phone calls in the evening, maybe three or four phone calls in the evening, and it's it's similar questions. You know, I've seen this. Um, I just have a couple of questions. You know, when would it ship? You know, basically that sort of stuff. Uh, nothing too complicated. Um, and then during the day, I end up. Um, I'm very good at writing to-do lists of all of the things I should do. I don't do them, but um, if I I, I get very anxious until I put it in paper. And then obviously the idea is, is to then get as much as possible done. But I then find myself getting up and going upstairs, making a cup of tea and then thinking about what I should do. And then I'll come back down and then I'll think, oh yes, I wonder if I'm ranking for that keyword and I'll go into Ahrefs. So I'm still all very, it's all very vague and all very confused. I, I don't even have, I don't even have like a, an SOP or a manual or anything all of the stuff I do, I wouldn't be able to hand it over to a VA, for example, because it's not written down anywhere. It's still all in my head. So there are certain things that I need to put in place that would make sense for a real business. And then maybe I could even look at outsourcing. But uh, so I'm in this weird limbo at a time, whereas I have time and I just don't know what to do with it. Um, but that has, to, that has to change soon. Yeah. I, well, you just described like, half of my days where it's like, oh, I'm going to check on that keyword. And then next thing you know, you're like looking at backlinks for some other thing. And you're like, oh, this could be another good site, you know, <laughs> like completely uh, yeah. separated from what you were intending on doing. So cool. Well, John, um, this has been amazing. Um, if anyone has questions, they can ask in the comments and the like, uh, you know, I guess the comments on YouTube and then the comments potentially over on uh, the Doug show. If you're listening to the podcast, um, you can shoot me an email feedback at Doug.show. But the cool thing is, uh, John, you're not available, right? You're, you're not, you're not in uh, a position where people could ask you questions or anything like that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm still trying to learn all of this stuff. So I'm, I'm not, teaching a course i'm not coaching i'm not doing anything so i don't have any like website where people can just go and like look me up so i'm just doing my thing maybe 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 two years from now i'll write a blog about all of the all of the, the troubles and turbulations and then people can read along but uh, that's way off in the future so cool awesome i, I love it and I, I need to have more guests like you where it's like you're you're in the middle of it right now and like you're tr you're still trying to figure it out you're trying to get some so we should talk about that you need to get some sops on paper so and get some yeah. uh get some uh vas helping you out but before i slip and bang my head and forget everything <laughs> right right and um yeah so potentially um in the future people may be able to contact you but right now you're uh, incognito. You're out there executing, doing the work, running your site and, and trying to grow the business. So thanks a lot, John. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Doug. Thanks again to John Murphy for sharing his story. And I thought this was like really inspiring, especially since I don't know many people that do 
high ticket drop shipping. So I know a lot of affiliate marketers and a lot of SEO type folks, but the drop shipping world is, you know, very similar in a lot of ways. The skills are a little different um, and you're, you're getting traffic in a different way. It's monetized a different way, but you know, you can start these jobs like anywhere in the world. You can sell products in the U S even if you're not located in the U S which, you know, I guess it's not super groundbreaking at this point, but it's a similar kind of person that may get into one um, area or another, right? Drop shipping versus affiliate marketing. And I just happened to get involved with affiliate marketing when I got started. And most likely I would have done, uh, you know, drop shipping if Pat Flynn was doing a case study on drop shipping instead of affiliate marketing. And a couple other quick observations before uh, we end this episode here. I know we're coming up on uh, well over an hour. But basically, John had to get on the phone. He had to talk to suppliers. He had to talk to manufacturers, perhaps work out some deals. He did mention that, you know, sometimes you may want to make your site look and you may want to make yourself seem like you're not just starting out. Uh, One of the risks there, and I see this in in different areas, um, but people start up a project, they start up a business even, and they get a few months in and then they just quit. So some of the examples that I may see would be around uh, like software products. So people email me, they're like, hey, Doug, I developed this tool. You and your audience would be very interested. You could use it for free even, but I've been burned enough times where I'll I'll say, sure, I would love to test it out. That sounds fantastic. I can give you some recommendations and stuff like that. Next thing you know, they uh, fold up. And worst case scenario, I have promoted such a product to uh, my audience or told people about it. And then they've checked it out. And then the the company folds and I look silly because I recommended a company that wasn't really serious. So anyway, the point is you... If you're doing drop shipping and you have to, you know, make deals with manufacturers, they don't want to have their time wasted. They don't want to waste money working with you. Um, so, you know, keep that in mind. Like, treat this as a professional venture as you should be. But also keep in, in mind, like John said, you may have to, you know, seem more established so the risk seems less to someone that you haven't worked with. After you work with someone for a little while you can earn the trust, right? Um, You earn the trust by showing up and and doing what you say you're going to do and making, you know, hopefully sales for them. So anyway, if you have any questions, if you have any feedback on the show, you can uh, shoot an email over to feedback at doug.show. You can also leave a voicemail. So a little tip on the voicemails, um, 90 seconds is about the ideal time frame. So I recommend that you write out what you want to say, write out your question, um, time yourself, set a little timer on your phone or, or whatever, see how long it takes you to read through it. It's okay if it sounds like you're reading it, but if you do it a few times, it will sound more natural and it'll keep it tight. What you don't want to do is have a very long voicemail that is like, three minutes long, which is the maximum. If you end up with a three-minute voicemail, it maybe is too much information. By the way, if you need to send additional context or information because your question is very 
complex for some reason, you can send an email. But remember, for the voicemail, about 90 seconds. And then I could pepper in some other facts if needed, but um, it just makes it a little bit easier on you, hopefully. And really, it makes it easier on me. I don't know why I said it makes it easier on you. It's actually harder for you if you have to write it out ahead of time. But I am now rambling on. I'm going to let you get on with your day. Thanks for checking out the show. And we will catch you on the next episode.